Hi, my name is Tracy Carpenter and I'm a member with Restored Church. If you're new, welcome. We are glad that you tuned in. We believe that the church is a family and not just an event, and so we would love to connect with you. Uh, there are a few ways that you can do that. The first being um, through our website, which is www.restoredtemecula.church, um, and then click on contact. We also have a mobile app that you can get in the Apple or the Android app stores, and through that app you can see past um, messages, upcoming events, and other ways for us to connect. Um, so with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. Okay, so we've been uh, journeying for, gosh, months now uh, in a series on Sundays. It's really more of a season than it has been a series where uh, we've titled it Priesthood. And it's really all about this concept, this idea of restoring a part of our identity as Christians. And that's an identity as a priesthood, as a, a, that's a collective of priests. And what priests are is there are men and women who orient their life around ministering to God, around blessing him, around, around honoring him, around worshiping him. And not to like get something from him like it's a transaction, but just because he's worthy. And so God's got us on this journey together of really, like I said, restoring this, recapturing this, re-identifying as priests. It's not just, these aren't just things that we do. This is part of who we are in Christ. Okay? And so we've been, uh, we spent some time in First Peter, kind of this idea of priesthood, and then we've been camping out in 2 Corinthians 3.18, one verse, for months now. And we'll, we'll move on when God gives us the green light. But I want to read this just to kind of jock your memory. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this in the ESV. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Again, just to review, it's this, it's this biblical concept that people who actually don't ascribe truth to the Bible actually would agree with this. It's this, it's this concept that you become like what you behold. The things that you give your attention to form you into their likeness. That's why advertising, that's why social media, that's why all these things, there's a lot of power in this. There is... There's a lot of dollar signs that are on your attention. It's worth something. It's worth something. What you give your attention to, it forms you into its likeness. And we've been talking about how disciples of Jesus, disciples are people who are, in, who are learning to enjoy Jesus, obey Jesus, and operate like Jesus in every single area of life. Disciples of Jesus, priests, right, they orient their entire life around beholding God. And again, just to review, like, that's your purpose in life. More than it's to, like, work for the weekend or to entertain yourself or to, hear me, or to even do really, really great good things. More than any of that, your purpose in life is to behold him. Why? Because you become like what you behold. And you and I are created to become like God. Not in the divinity sense, 
but to, to, to operate in our purpose. So far, we've covered beholding God in scripture. We've talked about beholding God in our failures when we blow it and our sin. We've talked about beholding God in humility. We've talked about beholding God in the storms of life, right? When things seem to be against us, when things are hard. We've talked about beholding God in our work. We've talked about beholding God as image bearers. We've talked about beholding God in the church, like in you. Today is probably going to be the most important uh, topic, if you will, in this series. Um, Today we're going to talk about beholding God in Jesus. And you might be like, well, why did it take so long for us to get here? Like, if this is the most important one, don't you you start with that? Yeah, typically I think we would. Um, But here's the thing, like beholding God in Jesus, we could spend every Sunday for the rest of our lives preaching on beholding God in Jesus, right? There's, there's a never-ending amount of, of revelation of who God is and what he's like in and through the person of Jesus. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna spend at least three more, I kind of, I'd say two or three more Sundays, maybe more, we'll see. And what we're gonna do is instead of like working through the entire Bible, because the whole Bible's about Jesus, right? All of the scriptures point to Jesus, so instead of spending, you know, forever, we're going we're gonna to spend a, a few Sundays. But here's why. It's only going to be a few. Because we're going to work through this poem. It's not a poem outside of the scripture. It's a poem found in the first chapter of the letter to the Colossians. Um, gosh, several months back, we were in a different series. We were going through uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew. We were, we were exploring it through the lens of the king and his kingdom. Who is the king of all creation? Jesus. And what is his kingdom like? That's what we were at. We felt like God led us into that season. And then we were convinced that God said, pause. Pause on Matthew. I want to talk about your priesthood. I think the church in the West has lost the plot. Like we were, guys, we're so conditioned. And let's just be candid. I know this is like recorded and stuff, so if you're, watching this, you're not part of our church, and you don't know the context we're in, please don't judge us too harshly. However, I'm going to say something that's, something that's kind of intense. The church in the West has kind of lost the plot in the sense that it's gone to great lengths. In order to reach, in order to evangelize, it's good motivation, good intention, but in order to do that, we've kind of placed man at the center instead of God at the center, where the church exists for you instead of primarily for him. Do we benefit? Absolutely. But we can only truly come alive with God at the center. We can only truly operate in our purpose and fulfill our calling and actually thrive the abundant eternal life that God promises for us if he plays the role of God, of primary importance. And trust me, I look around the room and you guys know what I'm talking about. You know you've experienced that abundant life when you come alive when Jesus is primary in your life. When God is at the center, you come alive and you blossom into who who God's created you to be. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And so what we're going to do, actually, is we're going to pick back up in that Matthew series. And I think it's a perfect, not today or anything, but in in, in a few weeks, it's a great segue where we can spend a chunk of time going, hey, let's really behold God in Jesus and then segue back into the king and his kingdom. So that's the tentative plan. We'll see if God interrupts it again. But all that being said, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. 
Now, this is a poem. It's a poem. Some theologians believe it might be a hymn that the early church uh, would sing together. Some think that Paul wrote it. There's kind of, there's not a whole lot of certainty. What we do know is it's in the word of God. And it's profound. Okay? Uh, let me pray before we jump into this. Just because I really want to center my heart. I, f- I feel a whole lot of things spiritually this morning. I want discernment. So, pray with me, will you? Holy Spirit, we just wait on you for a moment. Thank you for your presence. There's nothing like being near you. Thank you for your word that invites us into closeness with you. But that closeness, that drawing near with you, it it does require us leaving some things behind. So would you help us to do that this morning? For the sake of being closer to you. Not that we can earn our way, but because you invite us. And so Holy Spirit, make much of Jesus, I pray. Show us the glory and the beauty of Jesus. Have your way, we pray. Amen. Okay, so I knew we needed to talk about beholding God in the person of Jesus. But I was like, okay, well, where are we going to land on scripturally? Because there's, I mean, the whole Bible is about him. There's something spectacular about this, this passage in, in, in Colossians chapter 1. There's something really, really special here. So this is, this is essentially what we're going to work through over the next few weeks. And you'll see why. Let's read it together. Colossians chapter 1. This will probably be familiar to many of you. Starting in verse 15, I'm going to read through verse 20. Listen to how beautiful this is. He, he, there's Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You ever get frustrated? God, where are you? Why can't I see you? Why can't? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, that's us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. I love that. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love this passage of scripture because it's all about the preeminence of Jesus. It's all about the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And so here's what I want to do. We're just going to spend time in verse 15 today. That's it, one verse, okay? Let's talk about it. Image of the invisible God. Now, that language, I think, is really intentional. And it should kind of sound familiar to you if you've been journeying with us. Maybe if you've spent some time reading uh, Genesis about how man was created, uh, your purpose as an image bearer, you're made in his likeness and his image, right? Image of the invisible God. So in other words, 
what, whoever wrote this, <clears throat> ultimately it's God's spirit through someone, what they're saying is to behold Jesus is to behold God. To behold Jesus is to behold God, right? So Jesus, he shows us what God is like. So whenever we have doubts or whenever we have uncertainty or whenever we're like, gosh, you know, I've been told youth in the room. My parents have been telling me about Jesus in this regard. They say that he's kind. They say that he's loving. They say that he's patient. They say that he's forgiving, all these things. Whenever any of us, regardless of your age or stage of life, whenever we lose sight on what God is like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus because Jesus shows us what God is like. He's the image of the invisible God. To behold Jesus is to behold God. And so think of the implications with me. Gosh, I'm not going to have enough time. I told Herrick, I'm like, I have a ton of space in my notes. I'm going to go, no, I'm going to be really long. Because uh, here's why. We're talking about Jesus. Uh, to behold Jesus is to behold God. Like, think about, think about how you can, like, what you can witness Jesus saying, doing, his, how he behaves in the Gospels. We've, got, we've gone through a bunch of this already, but, like, if you spent any time reading the Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you get to see the emotion. Have you ever thought about that for a second? To behold Jesus is to behold God, and we can see emotion all over the place. Do you know God has emotions? Think about that. God has emotions. Some of us in the room, we, we, do, we work really, really hard to not live emotionally, or at the very least to suppress certain emotions. Like God has emotions. How do we know? Not only are they described for us all throughout the Bible, but look at Jesus. Uh, this is a whole nother, maybe we'll do a sermon series on the emotions of God someday. That might be kind of fun. But there's seven. I'm just going to give them to you really quickly. This is not part of the message, but I think it's kind of fun. There's seven emotions of God that we can see throughout the scriptures that Jesus exhibits as well. Anger, Here's one that'll freak you out just to kind of like throw us off a little bit. Hate. Wait a second. I thought God was a God of love. Exactly. He hates evil. Sorrow. How about this one? Jealousy. Joy. One that we really like, compassion. I like that one a lot. And love. Have you ever considered God is emotional? Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus shows us all about God's desires. Do you know that like God isn't just this kind of absent, distant being floating around in heaven, sometimes intervening, sometimes not? Do you know he actually has desires like desires for you. Those of you guys that have joined me in the prayer room, you know like we're all about pursuing God's desires. We spend intentional time seeking and discerning and listening for God's desires and then praying them back to him. And boy, does he share his desires with us every single time. And it's, the mo it's probably my favorite part. Insight into not just his desires, but I don't know if you know this one. God has an agenda. Do you know like right now, he has an agenda for you. He has a long-term agenda for you. 
And he has a moment-by-moment agenda for you. He has an agenda for you for the next hour that's very personal, that's very specific. He has desires and agendas that he wants to accomplish on the earth and inside of each one of us. Um, Two weeks ago, we talked about this idea, this biblical idea that, that we were created in God's image. I'm not gonna spend too much time. You can go back and listen to that. I think it's helpful, but it's our purpose to reflect what God is like to the rest of creation. We're all like little mirrors. God created us to reflect what he's like to anything and everything all around us. That's our purpose in life, all right? And we also talked about how sin jacked all that up. Okay, sin and wickedness and evil and self-centeredness, it jacks up the image that we reflect of God. So at at best, the image of God that we're reflecting to the world around us is a distorted image. Uh, It's kind of godly, but whoa, whoa, that's pretty bad. So at best, it's a distorted image. At worst, it's a contrary image. Um, I just finished watching this documentary on Hillsong Church. Did anybody watch this? A handful of you guys? Okay, yeah. Um, so if you're not familiar with Hillsong, Hillsong is, uh, began in Australia, one of the most influential churches, and dare I say ministries, on the planet for decades. Um, specifically their music, but not just their music. You've, you've all sung, if you've spent more than one Sunday at a church gathering, you've sung one of their songs. Okay, massively influential. But the, the, the documentary is all about, um, it's all about sin. It's all about some of the ways that, that specifically the leadership of Hillsong has misrepresented God in their actions. Um, some of the leaders have made choices that were a complete misrepresentation of the way of Jesus in some pretty spectacular ways. And, and the problem with that is it causes so much pain in the lives of people. And frankly, in the lives of the men and the women who made those terrible choices, misrepresenting the way of Jesus. And I don't know if you know, you don't really need me to tell you this, but like, it feels like there's this pattern in church history of men and women in church leadership that make poor choices. It's true. And it's hard because I feel like there's a, there's a growing reluctance in society towards the church and for some good reason because of poor choices made by those in authority in the church. Many of you have been on the receiving end of being mistreated in some of those ways. I have. But here's the thing. I was, I was thinking about this and I was like, why do these things keep happening? Like what's going on? And it's very clearly, I was like, oh yeah, because leadership's really hard and Satan's real. Like he wants to destroy your life regardless of what position you hold in life. You have influence over people. If you're a Christian, you have spiritual influence over people. And Satan wants to make a mockery of you by tempting you in ways that you give into that then now you're reflecting an image that is a distortion of the image of God 
or at worst, contrary. And I gotta be honest, like, I, almost, I didn't really wanna watch this because I'm tired of this kind of stuff. Here's why I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, of the effect and the pain that it causes in people's lives. Very real pain, okay? Like, people walk away from Jesus for this kind of stuff. It's hard, it's painful. But you know what else it makes, it's really hard for me? Is it makes my, this is selfish, but it's true. It makes my life exponentially more difficult. It makes pastoring exponentially more difficult because, because authority in the church is now a dirty word. It's a bad thing. It's, it's not to be trusted. And one of the things that bothers me too is, is we lump in, not we, but society in general is like, oh, like just in the case of Hillsong, but it's not just limited to Hillsong. It's any, it's any church where there's sin involved. Like Hillsongs, they're bad. It's that a, no, they're not. There's a handful of people that made really poor choices that departed from the way of Jesus. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But it frustrates me because it hurts people and it, and it makes my life so much more difficult. Because then when I'm, when I'm coming in to spiritually give someone a hug, they're used, to, they're used to leaders harming them when they raise their hands, if you will, and that they're reacting like this. And so Satan wins big time. But here's the narrative, that these kinds of things continue to propagate. Authority in the church is dangerous. It's not to be trusted. And I just want to be clear, some authority in the church is dangerous. Some of it is. But so this documentary on Hillsong, it's, it's heartbreaking, guys. I'm not recommending it to you. I'm just, I watched it. But some of the leadership in the church, I mean, guys, they, it was something like at the heyday, there was like 150,000 people attending their services all around the world. It's a lot of people, right? Some of their leaders, we're talking about this reflecting the image of God, right? Some of their leaders reflected an image contrary, not just a distorted image of what God is like, but totally contrary to what God is like, what his character is like, what his heart is like. Can I just tell you something? Jesus never did that. Hear me. Jesus never did that. He was the image, the image of the invisible God. Never a contrary image, not once. Never a distorted image, not once. The perfect, complete, fullness, the scripture says, image of God on the earth. He's the image of God. He perfectly reflects God. So please hear me. Like, and this is hard because this is contextualized. There's a lot of people in the room. I mean, like, I, not only do I know, but I can feel there's even, there's even stories I don't know yet. You've been mistreated. You've been mistreated at the hands of the church or even authority in the church. You've been hurt. In your greatest time of like, even if you blew it, I need help. Nope. I need mercy. You're gonna have to get it somewhere else. Maybe another church can help you with that. So just hear me. I'm not throwing shade at other churches. I'm not throwing shade at specific leaders. I'm trying to get you to behold him. I'm trying to get you to all eyes on Jesus, man. Look at the one who never ever reflects a contrary image, 
who never ever reflects even a distorted image, but a perfect image, the image of the invisible God. It's never contrary. Jesus never does that. To behold Jesus is to behold God. Do you see the power in these first few words of this verse? The the image of the invisible God. All right, for the sake of time, I gotta go to the next one. The firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Now, when we hear that, we think firstborn as though, like, it means something that it doesn't. Okay? Firstborn does not mean first created being. What it's speaking of is it's speaking of two things. It's speaking of status and it's speaking of authority. Status and authority, okay? So hear me. Not only did Jesus exist before all created things, but he is over all created things, all right? That means there's no higher status in all of creation. Okay, pause for just a moment, let to turn your brain on and just kind of think about creation. Think about everything that exists around you. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your city, the people, the plants, the animals, gravity, physics. Think about our nation. Think about the planet. Think about our... Think about the universe filled with galaxies. Think about all of creation. Give yourself over to it for a second. He's over it all. We'll get more into this in the weeks to come, but there's no higher status than him. He's responsible for all of it. There's no higher status and there's no higher authority You ever meet someone who like has status? Like way more status than you. You ever spend time with people like that? Anybody? Or am I like, no? Okay, cool. Here's the thing. I got to be honest with you. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun when I get to hang around people with status. But hear me, not for like the shallow reasons. Not for like selfie Instagram, like look who I'm with. I'm important because they're important. That's not what I'm saying. Not for these like shallow reasons. It's fun for me because I enjoy watching how they operate. I really enjoy watching how they utilize their status, how they utilize their authority. Um, in my early 20s, it was, to be honest, it was a fairly regular occurrence for me to be around people with status. Just through various projects, various uh, opportunities, people with a certain level of fame, and sometimes people with a lot of fame, a lot of status. And with that status comes a certain amount of influence and authority that goes along with that. But I remember, um, uh, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm backstage at, uh, at a performance, um, and it was, it was a performance of, I'm gonna leave it ambiguous enough because I'm not gonna put anybody on, bla- anybody on blast, I'm not gonna use their name. But I'm backstage at this performance of like a a legitimately a world famous celebrity. You guys would all know who this person is, okay? And if you've ever been in these kinds of environments, it's very clear kind of who the VIPs are. It's very clear who has the most status in the area. 
and everybody like the, like the planets in the solar system around the sun, everyone kind of gravitates towards the people with status. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me to be in these environments and observe what happens how people operate. And not just the people that have the status, but the people that are around the people with the status, how they operate. And so I'm backstage in this environment, and you can imagine, it's the classic backstage thing. There's like people doing things they shouldn't be doing. There are people who are just trying to like get in the room. There are people who are like totally, uh, what's the word? Kind of just mooching, if you will. They're just kind of part of the entourage, and they're around, right? They want to be close to something that's big and powerful and influential. So you have all those dynamics that I'm sure you can imagine if you've ever seen a movie. But this celebrity, I'm engaging with this guy. And he was Like, he's like, to the people around him, he was fine to me, but again, I'm just observing. He's like demanding things of people. Like, not, there was no requesting. Demanding, and like harshly. Like, to the point where you're, you hear this and you're like, like, I wouldn't let anybody talk to me like that. And not like, I'm gonna fight him. That's not what I'm saying. I just mean like, I'm out. I mean, he's, he's demanding things of people, harsh. He's shouting at people. The dude's making threats to people. He's gonna go on in like 35 minutes. He used his status and his authority as a weapon against other people to benefit himself at their expense. Listen to me. Jesus, the most VIP person ever, the firstborn over all creation, used his supreme status and authority to benefit others at his expense. He used his supreme status, his supreme authority to serve, to, to literally lay down his life as a ransom for many. Guys, there's no one like Jesus, man. We sing about it. We sing about it all the time. We sing about it this morning. There is no one like you, you. I mean, every other song. It's true. Nobody's like him. It's crazy too, because like in our culture, like modern culture, you know, these VIP type people, they're, they're, they're typically the ones who get the best treatment. Like, they're the ones who receive the most service. <laughs> they get the best seat. They get preferential treatment. 
They get like, like we honor these people in word and in deed. Like we, 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 we praise them, don't we not? We applaud them, we praise them, we talk, gosh, did you see how amazing she is? Did you see how amazing he is? Look at how gifted, like we, we honor these people, we praise these people, we prioritize these people. Pull up any news feed. You're gonna have less than three swipes before you come along someone with a certain level of status and authority for whom we are prioritizing, honoring, praising as a society. And dude, I'm not against honoring and praising people. Let's do it all day long. Let's build the most beautiful culture of honor for each other. Absolutely. But I'm trying to tell you something. We treat these people a certain way. Do we not? I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying we treat these people a certain way. Yet, Jesus, the most VIP person ever, and yet how was he treated? His very own people, his tribe, his crew, his peeps, his very own people, Reject him. Just pause for a second. Look around the room. If you're here to one degree or another, some of you more than others, this is like your people. There's a certain level of trust, transparency, honesty, vulnerability. Imagine for just a second, every single person in this room makes it abundantly clear through action and word They reject you. How is he treated? I mean, he's betrayed and he's abandoned by his closest friends. Some of you know exactly what that feels like, man. Feelings of betrayal are really, really, really hard. Feelings of rejection are really, really hard. He's mocked. Like publicly mocked. You ever been publicly mocked? He's hated. He's beaten. He's tortured. They ripped his beard out of his face. And, and you know the story, right? Like, he's murdered. All of it as an innocent man. The highest authority, the highest status, he, he, submit, he subjected himself to that kind of treatment. And here's the thing, and he didn't stop it. Can you think of anybody with a very high level of authority that for when they're experiencing that, if they have the means to stop it, that they don't? He didn't stop it. Friends, hear me. To behold Jesus is to behold God. And I want you to hear me say something. God uses his supreme status and authority for the benefit of others. For your benefit. 
He uses his supreme status and authority for your benefit, hear me, at great cost to himself. That's what he's like. Do you ever feel insignificant? Do you ever feel like I'm just not cutting it? I'm not measuring up. Like I'm missing the mark. I don't have enough status. I don't have as much authority as I want to have. People don't don't view me in the ways that I want them to view me. So I kind of need to like make sure that people sort of know what I'm good at. And like, I'm not going to be this arrogant jerk that's like constantly talking about myself, but I just need to sprinkle some stuff in there, whether it's word or deed, that just so that you know that I have some significance. Nobody ever does that, huh? You ever feel insignificant? My friend, how could you ever feel insignificant? If you're in Christ, how could you ever, ever feel insignificant? The only way that anybody in this room could ever feel insignificant is if we don't believe what the Bible says about God. Hear me. The most significant being ever leverages all of his status and authority for your benefit, for my benefit, at great cost to himself. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you have any idea how significant you are to him? We talk about it. We're gospel people, right? Jesus laid down his life for us. Do you realize how significant you are to the most VIP person ever? Not just the people around you. Some of you in the room, you have a hard time receiving it for you. You will preach it all day long to the people around you, but for whatever reason, you aren't receiving it. Listen to me. If you don't receive the reality of how significant you are to him, you will never be who he's made you to be. You will be stuck the rest of your life. You will spin your wheels. You will attempt to do and try all these different things to give yourself meaning, purpose, and satisfaction, and none of it will work. You'll still feel the void. But hear me. If you don't take anything, if you've tuned out everything I've said, take this with you, okay? You are significant to the most you're, you're significant to the most significant one. You are significant to the most significant one. And to the degree that you receive that is to the degree that you will become who he's made you to be. Here's the thing about life, whether we want to admit it or not. There are stations in life. There are people who have more status than you and there are people who have less status than you. There are people who have more authority than you and there are people who have less authority than you. There are stations in life. Here's the question that I've been, I've been wrestling with this week as I've been chewing on this stuff. How do I treat the people at a lower station? Because here's the thing, we become like what we behold. 
I want to be like him. I want to treat people the same way regardless of where their station is in life. Not just treat them the same way. I want to be radically, sacrificially loving, generous, kind, thoughtful. Why? Because Jesus is with me. His station is so far above mine. And yet he leverages all of his status, all of his authority, all of his power, everything that he is for my benefit at great cost to himself. And the same thing is true of you. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Highest status, highest authority. I really want to be like him. I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. Hey, Elise, come here for a second. So, um, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. What does that have to do with priesthood? What does that have to do with priesthood? I want to keep putting this in front of you. When we behold Jesus, we behold God, right? The one with supreme status and authority who uses it for our benefit at great cost to himself. Now, listen. When we behold him, when we actually give ourselves over, when we put everything else away, everything else aside, we minimize distractions, when we actually behold him, we actually see him clearly for who he is, what do we see? We see just how worthy he is. We see just how glorious he is, just how powerful he is, just how loving he is, and his worth begins to skyrocket inside of us. And what does that produce? It produces a desire to honor him. It produces a desire to worship him, to praise him, to serve him, to love him in return from him, of, of him loving us in such costly, beautiful ways. And not like a one-time love, man. Not like he died, he loves you, it's proof. But an ongoing grace on your life, it's a, it's a miracle that we haven't been zapped. It's a miracle that any of us are breathing here that he hasn't just gone like, all right, let's just put an end to this. Grace upon grace upon grace. When we behold him, when we see him clearly, we see his worth. I've told this story before, but I remember uh, one of my first dates with Ebony. Went to Knott's Berry Farm. Actually, I think it was our first date, huh? like kind of first date. And like, to be honest, going into the date, there was zero romance. Like there was no desire for that. Appreciated her, she's fun, she's cool. And the same thing with her. But something happened that day, man. I saw her. I saw her. And it changed everything. Her worth. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes to earn her trust. I'll do whatever it takes to bring her joy and pleasure. I'll do whatever it takes to make her feel secure and safe. 
I saw her. Listen to me. When you see God clearly, when you see him, when you behold him, his worth becomes clear. And you'll do whatever it takes, not to earn him, but just to love him. You with me? Stand with me if you're able. Here's what I want to do. Before we go into a time of ministry, I want to let the Spirit do some ministry with individuals in the room. I feel like God's been doing this with us, just a, a, a moment for us to re- really kind of reflect. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, everybody in the room. This isn't be overly spiritual. This is to minimize distraction. I just want you to sit with the question. And before I ask you the question, I want to give a, a preface. There is zero space in this room for shame, for guilt, for condemnation. I'm going to say it again. There's zero room, there's zero space in this room, I should say, for any guilt, any shame, or any condemnation. Here's the question I want you to just ponder. What is he worth to you? Last question, what are you worth to him? I pray for everybody in the room right now who's struggling to receive it. You're hearing it in your spirit, you're struggling to receive it right now. No more, in the name of Jesus. Paratine, would you guys come up for me? 
Just make yourself available. Um, there's trusted men and women that are going to be making themselves available for some ministry, for some ministry, for some prayer. And two, one of two things, I want everybody in the room, even youth, especially youth, hear me, youth, please. This is probably more for you, <laughs> okay? God desires you. He's pursuing you. It's so clear, but hear me. Everybody in the room, one of two responses, priest or patient. A priest, again, offering ministry to God, blessing him because he's worthy with your mouth, with your voice, with your body, with your soul, with your spirit, with all of who you are. That's one, that's one track for, for the room. The other track is you're in a space where you're a patient. You need some care. You need to be touched in a healing way. And I believe God wants to do that through his people. He always does. Um, do we have a microphone? Thanks, Eric. Lisa, will you fill us in? We pray, um, every time we gather, we pray discerning what does God desire? What does he want to do? What's he up to? And how can we participate in that? Hey guys, can we get her microphone? Like, yeah, okay. Uh, the team this morning had a strong sense that there were um, uh, there was an invitation for healing prayer, um, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, and uh, throughout the time, I've been hearing the lyrics over and over again, what can make me whole again? And I feel like it's a conversation with God, um, and his response is nothing but the blood of Jesus. Um, yeah. I feel like he's inviting us um, to touch the hem of his garment. Um, we would love to pray healing over you for anything. Thank you. Beautiful. Okay. Band's going to lead us. This. Sorry. This is the time for us to respond. Either as a priest, collective, a priesthood, a collective of priests, or for those who just, you, 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 know, you, you know you're needy when you're in need, when things are beyond you. Come forward for prayer. Okay, let me pray for us, and then will you guys lead us? Bless us. Thank you. Spirit, we open ourselves up to you. We don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be people who just kind of sit, sit down and stand still. Like we, we, we want to press in because you're worth it. We desire your kingdom. We desire your rule, your reign, your way. So Holy Spirit, every single heart and mind in the room, would you rule? We invite you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right, enjoy him, and then Herrick will come up and close us in just a bit.